everyone. Uh, thanks for coming out today. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're in the fourth week of a series here at Genesis that we're called A Praying Life. It's based on uh, this book, uh, Praying Life by Paul Miller. And uh, man, I don't know how many of you are reading along with this, but uh, you know, ran into one guy this morning who was telling me, hey, I got the book. And man, I am Loving it. Uh, there's a connection group that I'm in on Wednesday mornings. I know I was so encouraged this past Wednesday just hearing all the guys in our group uh, that are reading this book and uh, so much to be gained from it. It's not too late if you don't have a copy of it. Man, I encourage you. I think every Christian ought to have that book on their shelf and uh, something that you read through. And you can get it on Amazon. I think uh, we, at one point we were seeing it being sold for about 10 bucks there. But uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller uh, really has been so rich, and I uh, look forward to sharing some of that with you uh, today. If you've got a Bible with you, though, I want to invite you to take it right now uh, and turn to Luke chapter 11. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, uh, there might be one on the floor uh, near you, page 725, or if you use something like the Version app on your phone, uh, again, Luke chapter 11. Today, uh, we're going to see Jesus tackle a question on prayer. A question that I'm pretty sure that most of us uh, have wrestled with at some point in our lives, and if we haven't yet, it is a question or a challenge that will come up for us uh, one day, maybe soon or later. The question is this, what happens when I pray? Uh, what, what happens when you ask and you ask and you ask, and God never answers your prayer? What, what are we to make? What are we to take from the challenges that come with unanswered prayer. I mean, it's a, it's a frustrating part of the Christian life, isn't it? Like when you think about your journey with the Lord, I don't know how long you've been around church. Maybe some of you, you're very new to church, very new uh, to your faith. Maybe others of you, you've been around it for a really long time. I mean, uh, the, the question, the challenge of unanswered prayer is a, a frustrating part of the Christian life. And, and for some of you, it, it's been so frustrating along the way that you just quit praying. Uh, maybe for others of you, uh, it was so defeating. Uh, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for something that you just you gave up praying, or maybe you you gave up on God for a while. Maybe you walked away from your faith or walked away uh, from the church for a season. The, the the question and challenges of unanswered prayer are something that we all face. It's a big part of this book. Uh, again, if you've read it, if you haven't read it yet, it really is a big part of Paul Miller, the uh, author of this book's own personal story. He's got this really powerful story that he refers to all throughout the book. And the basis of the story is just this, that he and his wife prayed faithfully for a healthy baby girl. And this was back in 1981, and the due date finally arrived. It was an exciting day, obviously, for any parent. But unfortunately, the day didn't go as planned. There was a crisis in the delivery room, and no real diagnosis at first, but thankfully, his girl, Paul's little girl, Kim, survived. But the reality for Paul and his wife is that they now had a baby with many difficult and complicated health challenges uh, that would last for the rest uh, of her life. And, and the challenge is to think that they prayed for a healthy baby girl. Like, again, how, how do you make sense of that? When you pray for something that anyone would pray for, who wouldn't want to who wouldn't want to pray a prayer like that? Who wouldn't want an answer to, to a prayer like that? What are you supposed to do with that sort of unanswered prayer? I know that some of you can relate today, you know, and I wonder for some of you, I wonder, I wonder how many of you, you've prayed for one thing. You, you prayed for one thing and you prayed faithfully, but you got the exact opposite of what you prayed for. Or maybe you prayed and you prayed for something and, well, you prayed long enough and, and you're still praying and 
Maybe you've been praying for many years now and you're still waiting for God to respond. I mean, it's hard. It's hard trying to make sense of unanswered prayer. But um, I want to give you some good news this morning. Um, I think there's some good news for us in the question of unanswered prayer. And the, the good news is that Jesus addressed this very frustration. Uh, he tackled this very question. And the reason that he addressed it, I believe, is that he knew that we were going to experience it. He knew we were going to come up against these sorts of challenges, that his disciples would face these same sort of challenges. And so if you've ever grown frustrated in trying to pray for something, I just want you to know the good news is that there's nothing wrong with you, all right? Uh, There's nothing wrong if you've ever grown frustrated in praying for something because Jesus knew that we would struggle with these sorts of questions. He He knew that we would struggle with these sorts of challenges. He knew his disciples would, all right? And so that's why he's sharing what we're going to see today with them. And so he he addressed it. And as we're going to see today, and what I hope we're going to find uh, is that our Savior, Jesus, has some encouragement for how we can cope with the questions and frustrations of unanswered prayer. And so let's pick it up in Luke chapter 11 uh, today. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. The gospel writer of Luke records it. He, He sets the scene this way. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now think about this. Of all of the questions that they could have asked the Son of God, what did they want to learn from Jesus? They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, they they just saw something in Jesus. They, They could see that prayer was a vital part of his relationship with the Father. And so they were very intrigued by this. They could have asked him anything, but they asked him, would you teach us how to pray. Now notice how Jesus responds. Verse 2, he, he, he said to them, and this might sound familiar to many of you, he said to them, when, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you've been around church much, uh, you probably would immediately recognize this as the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, if you were here with us last Sunday, we, we, we looked at the Lord's Prayer and kind of walked by it uh, through it verse by verse, line for line. But, but if you are familiar with it, if you've been around this prayer before, if you've said it before, uh, you might look at this version and you might think to yourself that there's some words missing, right? I mean, there, there's some phrases that are missing in this prayer. You're, you're kind of thinking, Jesus is a little embarrassing for you. Like, you messed up your own prayer, you know? I mean, uh, in the heat of the moment here. But trust me, I want, I want you to see and understand that Jesus didn't mess up, all right? Uh, the author didn't mess up either. I mean, all of the important pieces are there. Here's what's important to note. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew, all right? This is the Gospel of Luke now, all right? The, these are two separate occasions. Matthew's recorded prayer uh, was during an event that we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, but Luke's recorded prayer from Jesus comes at a later date, all right? Potentially six to nine months uh, after he shared this with them for the first time, which I think is encouraging for a couple of reasons, all right? The first is this, that the disciples had to ask more than once, all right? I'm a little encouraged that they didn't just get it the first time, all right? That even on down the road, they were asking him again, hey, teach us how to pray. And so that's just kind of encouraging to me that when I don't get it all the time or when I, you or I, we don't get it the first time, that even the disciples had to ask uh, again. But, but the other thing is this, that when they asked him the second time, Jesus answered the same way. He answered the same way as he did before. He didn't have a new answer for them, but instead he referred back to this very same pattern, this very same model for praying. And I think that should serve 
uh, as a great reminder to us that there is something to praying this way. That Jesus demonstrated for us with the Lord's Prayer a pattern of praying that will, that he very much believed, would be a very effective way of praying and relating to God. Verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus uh, is going to launch into now a method of storytelling that we know as as a parable. And uh, Jesus loved to teach in parables. And a parable is a a short story, a short illustration that serves to communicate one uh, central point or idea. And to think that Jesus could have talked about anything regarding to prayer. I mean, to, to think that he could have launched into anything else. But what did he choose to address? He chose to address this question of unanswered prayer. Questions like, what happens when we pray and we pray? And we don't get what we want. What happens when we pray and we pray for so long and all we want to do is give up? And so in verse 5, Jesus now launches into this parable. Look Look what he says to his disciples. It says, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now let's just stop there for a second. There's a few details that I want to point out to you first. First of all, this is the ancient world. All right, so keep that in mind. Uh, They didn't have electricity uh, 2,000 years ago and it's midnight which means it's really the middle of the night. It's not like when you were in college and midnight meant you got started uh, on your homework, all right? This is the middle of the night, everyone's sleeping. Next, notice that everyone is in the same bedroom, okay? These were typically one-bedroom homes, and a time like this, everyone was in the exact same room. And so for this man, uh, the man on the other side of the door, to get up out of his bed and to answer the door likely meant waking everyone else up in the house. And finally, I just think it's worth noting, it's not like the guy's got an emergency, all right? So, like, really, I mean, this is just about bread. I mean, why in the world can't he just wait until the morning to go looking for bread? But verse 8, Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this little Greek word here, uh, shameless, is the Greek word adonaiah. Uh, it's a word that can also be translated as boldness. Uh, it's a word that can be translated as uh, persistence. Uh, here's, here's the point that I see Jesus making. Because of this visitor's shameless audacity, because of his boldness and persistence, the guy on the other end of the door will eventually get up out of bed and get the guy as much as he needs. Now, stop there for a second, if you would, because, again, we call this a parable, all right? And any time Jesus told a parable like this one, the disciples had to be thinking something like this. They had to be thinking, okay, here, here goes Jesus again, all right? Here he goes into his storytelling, all right? And so he, he's talking in stories. He's kind of talking in allegory. He's got a point to make. And so they had to be thinking this. Uh, someone in the story is me, and someone in the story is God, and so uh, I've, I've got to put this together. Now, if, if you're reading this with me, all right, if you're already putting these pieces together, it really makes the parable a little peculiar, all right? And, and here's why. Because if that's the case, all right, you and I or these disciples, we're like the guy, all right, the visitor who is knocking on the door, and God is like the guy who is on the other end of the door, and I just can't help but think, is God really that grumpy? 
Like, I mean, is he, is he really that grumpy about answering my prayers? I mean, what, what am I to make of this grumpy guy that really doesn't want to get out of bed and answer this man or get this guy some bread? I mean, I'm thinking, hey, Jesus, like, you know, you're really not giving the Father a really great name or, or visual here. And so I don't know if any of you are thinking the same. That's just what I was thinking as I was reading it. But hang with me. We'll come back to it in just a moment. I don't want you to miss the big idea of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Remember, parables typically have one central idea. And the big idea with this parable is that the man will eventually respond. And it's because of the visitor's boldness. It's because of his persistence. And it's because of his shameless audacity that the man will finally open the door and get him as much as he needs. And look at how Jesus follows up this parable with these final words. So he says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. See, the whole idea of the parable of Jesus is just this, this It's this idea of boldness and persistence, this shameless audacity, if you would, when it comes to our asking, when it comes to our praying. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here that, hey, when it comes to your prayers, don't just knock once and not get an answer and give up. But if you know someone is there, if you believe someone is there, you keep knocking until you get an answer. Kind of reminds me of something that my very sweet mom uh, used to do when I was a kid. How many of you remember, and I think I still see these trucks around from time to time, but how many of you remember, we just referred to him as the Schwann's man. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the Schwann's man? Yeah? You'd always hear the truck, right, kind of coming down the street. And for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, the Schwann's man would drive around in this refrigerated truck, and they'd come by your house maybe once a week, and you'd place your order. He'd go back to the truck and come back with a box of pancakes, frozen pancakes or chicken fingers or pizzas or ice cream or something like that. Well, we used to have the Schwann's man uh, come to our house. It was something like on Friday nights, and you could always hear him coming down the street. And, and here's why my mom was so sweet. She hated telling him no, all right? And so whenever she heard the truck coming but really didn't want to order anything, she'd turn off all the lights in the house, all right, and make us hide, all right, until the guy came to our door and was not, it was like we were hiding from the Nazis or something. But we, we would hide. He would knock on the door, finally give up, drive away, and once he got far enough away, we could turn on the lights and resume our normal way of living again. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. He says, hey, when it comes to prayer, all right, you keep knocking, you keep seeking, you keep asking, and you don't give up. And you be bold, and you be persistent with this shameless audacity until God responds. Now, again, does that mean that God is the grumpy guy from the parable that really doesn't want to get out of bed and answer the door? Not at all. The grumpy man on the other side of the door is not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that you keep on praying and believing and asking until you get an answer or a response to your prayer. Now, does that mean we'll always get whatever we want or whatever we ask for? Well, you know that to to be the case that, no, that's just not true. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes God answers with a yes. 
Uh, sometimes God chooses to answer with a not yet, and sometimes he's just waiting to show us something better that he might have for us. Um, my, uh, my eight-year-old daughter has been asking really since the fall about uh, going ice skating uh, together. And I got to tell you, I've had every intention of taking my daughter ice skating, but it always seemed like there was something. There was always one more thing going on and trying to find a night where it actually worked. But I had every intention of taking my daughter ice skating as she had been asking. And so finally, a little over a week ago, we went ice skating together. And uh, we went out to Westfield on a Friday night, and there's my daughter Kate out on the ice, and she did a fantastic job. Uh, We went out on a Friday night, just the two of us. It was me, Kate, and about 100 middle schoolers, all right, out ice skating on the ice together. No kidding, and no offense to any of the middle schoolers uh, in the room right now. And, uh, well, there was a real funny moment even as well, and as, as, as graceful as Kate was on the ice, it was so, it was so funny. There, there were two middle school students that were, that were giving each other a kiss out on the ice, and my daughter at just the right time skated right into them. And... Uh, <laughs> And I just thought that was perfect. No, no middle school has any business smooching on the ice, you know, on a Friday night. And uh, so that just worked out great and all. But again, you know, this was a really special moment for us. You know, I, I had every intention, all right, of making sure that we would find a night that worked for our schedule to go out and to ice skate with one another. She's, she's my daughter. I have the privilege to be her earthly father you know, here on this earth, she belongs to me. And so kind of in that same light, what, what is God like? Don't forget that Jesus has already established the point what God is like. We, we find it in the way that he addresses God in the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you can call him Father because God is like a tender father and he is gracious and compassionate. He is one who loves and delights in his children, especially those who come to him and come to him as a way of saying, I am desperate for you, I trust you, and I need you, Lord. And in the same way, that's what we are to God. You know, we are his children, and he is this tender father, and you and I, we can have this confidence as children of God that we can approach him, that we can go before him, that we can take our prayers to him, and as Jesus says to to us here, as he reminds us, we can be bold and persistent in our prayers until he answers. You know, we don't get it. We, we don't understand how revolutionary it really was for these disciples to hear from Jesus that they had the right, that they had permission to call God Father. I mean, it was counterintuitive to everything they had ever been taught about God and prayer up until Jesus. But Jesus came to change all of that. And he came to model for us what a dependent relationship on God as Father really looks like. And he was modeling that for his disciples, and he models that for you and me. And man, it should change everything about our relationship with him. It should change everything about the way you approach him and in your prayers and what we can expect for him, from him and what he wants for us. Let me, let me make a few observations about prayer before we close today. Um, specifically unanswered prayer in your life right now. If you're taking notes uh, and you want to jot these down, just three things that I, I want to observe from this parable here this morning. The first thing that I see is this, that persistent prayers get God's attention. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. I mean, passages like this one in Luke show us that persistent prayers get God's attention and can change our situations. I mean, this man just kept knocking and knocking until the man on the other side of the door finally responded. Now, 
we could ask, why, knock, why not knock just once and get an answer? I don't know. I really wish it were that easy at times, but all I know is that this parable tends to show us that sometimes it's going to take some boldness and some persistence and patience, and it was because of this visitor's persistence that the man finally responded. And I think that's why Jesus added uh, verse 9 for emphasis. You know, if you've got your Bibles open there, verse 9, when he said, he, it was a reminder to ask, to uh, he said it again, to seek. He, he said to, to knock three verbs that basically communicate the same way. Basically, if no one answers, you bang louder, all right, and you keep knocking. And there are some great examples of this boldness and persistence all throughout the Bible in places like Exodus chapter 17 when uh, the Israelites were doing battle with the Amalekites and uh, Moses went out before them and as long as he kept his arms up in the air, the Israelites were winning. If his arms began to drop to his side, well, then the Amalekites were winning. And so the, the point is that Moses' actions, his prayers in some way affected the outcome of the battle. I was thinking about another example in 2 Kings chapter 20. Uh, King Hezekiah received word from the prophet Isaiah that he was about to die. And Hezekiah cried out to the Lord. Uh, and he cried out to him and he asked for more time. And so the Lord responded by giving him 15 more years of life. And then there's the story of Elijah and praying that it wouldn't rain, all right? And, and it didn't rain for a really long time. And then he prayed earnest, earnestly that it would rain. And he prayed and he prayed. And finally, it started raining. And well, the New Testament writer James records that in James chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I heard someone say this, describe prayer like this, uh, kind of like a, a laser beam wave, uh, if you would. You know, lasers cut through steel. But when you think about it, the science behind lasers is that it's really just concentrated light. Uh, and, and you know, if you, if you shine a, a flashlight at something, it's not going to cut through anything, all right? That's not going to happen. But, but when the waves are concentrated enough together and flowing in the same direction, they intensify, uh, creating a laser beam that can cut through almost anything. And maybe prayer sort of like that too. Maybe our persistent, faithful, shameless, and audacious prayers are a bit like that too, but... At the same time, I'm also thinking it's kind of mysterious. It's kind of mysterious the way our prayers and, and even God's will and sovereignty, how do those work together? Ever thought about that? I mean, I won't pretend to know uh, how this works, but I was thinking about this verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where Jer Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. The, the emphasis here is on the words, for I know the plans I have for you, God says. See, I believe that our God is a sovereign God, which means that he's not sitting off to the side right now, crossing his fingers, hoping that everything in this crazy world of ours is going to work out in the end. He's not doing that because he's a sovereign, omniscient, all-knowing God, but in some way and somehow he has chosen to enact his will on this earth through our prayers, which somehow means that there will be things that happen on this earth if we pray, and there will be things that won't happen on this earth if we don't pray. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, it is part of God's goodness and appointment that he allows the world to be susceptible to our prayers. He, he allows the world to be in some sense under the control of the power of prayer. And so 
for you and me, what I'm just getting at is this, our bold and persistent prayers. I won't pretend to understand completely how this works, but our bold and persistent prayers have the ability to get God's attention. And God's not bothered by that boldness. He's not uh, annoyed with our unwillingness to give up. But instead, I think he's drawn to it. And I think he loves it and he cherishes it. He cherishes those conversations with you and me when we continue to pour out our heart and our desires before him. And maybe more than we realize, our persistent prayers in some way, well, maybe they're proving how serious we really are about trusting him. And the fact that we ask and we ask and we ask, we're just demonstrating our faith and our belief that he's the only one that can help. And that we won't give up until we get a response from him. And so persistent prayers get God's attention. The second thing is this, that persistent prayers require patience. Uh, They require great patience. I mean, one of the mistakes we we can make in praying is assuming that uh, if we don't hear something right away, well, then God must not be listening or he doesn't care or he's not going to answer. But Jesus goes on to, to make this promise. Again, in verse 10, he says, For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What in the world are you supposed to make of that? I mean, especially if you've prayed and prayed faithfully and never got what you prayed for. Maybe you've been praying for months or even years now, praying for things like healing from an illness in your life or in your home. Maybe, maybe praying for healing from a past event, uh, healing from a wound that you've carried for years now. Maybe, maybe you've prayed for restoration of a relationship or forgiveness. What are we to make of these things? I I know we have an issue in our family that we have been praying now for for a couple of years. And it's been terribly frustrating at times. And there have been long periods of waiting and asking so many days when Jenny and I are just ready to give up praying all together. Uh, Paul Miller goes on to address this just in a real sweet and fantastic way. And I, I want to, I thought about sharing some of these thoughts with you, but then I just thought about a page or two in his book and I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to read it for you. And uh, he, he describes how, you know, how unanswered prayer and praying these persistent prayers are, are really like praying through the desert, all right? It's like a long journey through the desert. And let me just read some of this for you, and, and you just kind of try and take in and understand what he says. He says, you know, the, the hardest part of being in the desert is, is that there's no way out. You don't know it when it will end. There's no relief in sight. He says the desert can be almost anything. It can be a child who has gone astray, a difficult boss, or even your own sin or foolishness. Uh, he says, maybe you're mar- you, you married your desert. Uh, but he says, God customizes deserts for each of us. Uh, Joseph's desert is, uh, is being betrayed and forgotten in an Egyptian jail. Uh, Moses lives in the Midian desert as an outcast for 40 years. The Israelites live in the desert for 40 years. David runs from Saul in the desert. All of them hold on to the hope of God's word, yet face the reality of their situations. He says, the theme of the desert is so strong in Scripture that Jesus reenacts the desert journey at the beginning of his ministry by fasting for 40 days in a desert while facing Satan's temptation. His desert is living with the hope of the resurrection, yet facing the reality of his father's face turned against him at the cross. He says, the father turning his face against you is the heart of the desert experience. Life has ended. It no longer has any point. You might not want to commit suicide, but death would be a relief. It's very tempting to survive the desert by taking the bread of bitterness offered by Satan to maintain a wry, cynical detachment from life, finding a perverse enjoyment in mocking those who still hope. 
Hang with me. I want you to hear this. He says, God takes everyone he loves through the desert. It is his cure for our wandering hearts, restlessly searching for a new Eden. Here's how it works. The first thing that happens is we slowly give up the fight. Our wills are broken by the reality of our circumstances. Uh, The things that brought us life gradually die. Our idols die for lack of food. That's what happened to Emily in Guatemala. That's what happened to Jill with Kim. He's referring to his family, obviously. He says, the still dry air for the desert brings the sense of helplessness that is so crucial to the spirit of prayer. You come face to face with your inability to live, to have joy, to do anything of lasting worth. Life is crushing you. Suffering burns away the false selves created by cynicism or pride or lust. You start caring about, you stop caring about what people think of you. The desert is God's best hope for the creation of an authentic self. I'll finish with this. He says, desert life sanctifies you. You have no idea you're changing. You simply notice after you've been in the desert a while that you are, you're different. Things that used to be important no longer matter. And then he says, after a while you notice your real thirst. While in the da- desert, David writes, and we get this verse in Psalm 63, chapter 1, when David says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And then Paul Miller goes on to explain that it's in the desert where God ultimately and finally gets your attention because you realize that he's the only game in town and you cry out to him so long that a channel really begins to open up between you and God. And then he says this, the best gift of the desert is God's presence. And that leads to the last observation that I want to try and make today, which is this, that bold and persistent prayers don't mean we get what we want, but there is the promise of this, that persistent prayers will change us. They will change us. Uh, It's true, even as my wife and I were talking about what we've been praying, she passionately agreed, yes, my bold and persistent prayers have changed me. They're changing our family, my relationship with the Lord. The way I pray will never again be be the same. And I don't know what kind of experience you have with this, but think about all of the ways that prayer changes you. And maybe for some of you today, maybe you've been praying for a really long time, maybe for a spouse to come to the Lord, to come into a relationship with the Lord. And maybe you haven't yet received what you want or hope for, but I bet for some of you, I bet God has opened your eyes to some things in your own life that maybe he wants to call out, some things that he's wanting to change or transform in you. Or he'll do this. Sometimes we pray and we pray for something. You know, we'll pray, God, I want this, this one thing. And in our minds, it's only this one thing, and it has to be just that. But so often what God is able to show us is that that one thing isn't even the issue. And over time, we realize we've been praying for the wrong thing. And, and what you figure out in the desert, it's not even, that, it's not even what God wants. You know, what, what God wants for you is over here. And in time, you begin to, you begin to understand and realize that it, that's so much better. And it's so much more satisfying. But again, it's just that hard work that he's doing in us, that absolute surrender. All I'm saying today is this, that you pray bold and persistent prayers. And I promise you that God will do something. And sometimes that means he'll give us the very thing that we ask for. And sometimes he'll make you wait. And sometimes he won't do what you ask at all, but I promise you that every time, every time you pray bold 
and persistent and faithful prayers, God will use it. And he will change you and transform you. And he'll take that experience in your life and he'll use it to increase your faith and your trust in him. And man, can't you just see how that makes all of the difference in the world? All of the sense in the world. God taking our prayers and using them to increase our faith, to strengthen our relationship with him. That even in our cries, even in our desperation, even as we acknowledge this isn't going the way I expected, in some sweet way, God sweeps in from behind and works in our hearts as we realize that he's the only way. And what I've been asking for, it will only and can ever be found in him. He is the only one. He is my only hope. And so my challenge to you today is this, to pray boldly to pray boldly, to pray persistently. And let's be a church. Let's be a church of people who pray bold and persistent prayers. And let's celebrate when our God answers. And let's celebrate those prayers together. But let's also be a help and encouragement to one another when it's painful and we're waiting. But together, let's grow in our faith. And let's grow in our dependence of this God of ours, a God who loves us. And his desire is to be in a deep, and satisfying relationship with each of us, with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we won't pretend to always understand. And I think for probably most everyone here, we could probably describe a, a desert journey, a desert experience. And maybe for some, it's, it's so real and it's so painful today because they're living in the middle of it right now. And whatever that may be, whatever that question may be, whatever that prayer is that we've been asking, Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't leave here today without a special encounter with you that reminds us that you are faithful, that you love us, that you are looking out for us, Lord, and that even in the waiting, Lord, your great hope is to keep drawing us in as close as we can be to you because you are our only hope. You are the only one who can answer. You are the only one who can satisfy. And Father, would you give us great faith though? Like we, we want to be a, a church full of people who have great faith and great hope in you that there is nothing beyond you. There is nothing too great for you, God. And we want to be a a church who prays, but we realize that in order to be a church that prays, we need to be people that pray and people that pray faithfully and boldly and persistently and faithfully, trusting you humbly before you, God, as our Father, recognizing that you are a Father that loves his children. And so will you give us that picture, Lord? Would you give us that experience? Would you give us that faith to pray? And so for the person here today who gave up praying, would you Put that faith in them to begin praying once again. And for those who are weak and tired but continue to pray, would you sustain them, Lord, and give them the hope to keep on praying even today. And for those who have doubts and for those who have been hurt and maybe gave up a long time ago, Lord, would you show them how good and faithful you are as you love them, as you love us, Lord, as you draw us to you. We thank you, God. Thank you for your son who gave his life for us so that we could have life and hope in you.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to close this morning. Um, our team here is going to sing a song over you that just, just really expresses the love that our Father, that He has for us, that He has for you today. And I pray that you just take it all in and just receive the love of the Lord for your life and for encouragement and for hope as you continue to pray, as you continue to trust Him.